Good afternoon to all of you. Thankful for the opportunity to be here with you all. Um, thankful to any of you that I've met, and if I haven't met you, um, then I hope to after services. Thank you to Kyle for inviting me to come here. Um, it's always an encouragement to see groups that are standing strong for the Lord in different places, and I would encourage you all to keep doing that, to keep reaching out to people in this community, um, and thank you for being an encouragement in that. If you'd like to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, that's where uh, we're going to be spending part of our time, and that's where we're going to be getting the topic for our lesson this afternoon, Romans chapter 12. And we'll start out by reading the first eight verses of this chapter to get some context. We're going to be talking about verse 9, but first I want to read through the first eight verses. So read with me there. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing, differing to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So in the first eight verses of this chapter, Paul has started out, and he has started talking about different parts, different parts of a body. And he relates that to a physical body, how there are different members working together. And we see at the end of these eight verses, in verses 6, 7, and 8, he gives some more specific instruction. For example, he tells those who are exhorting to keep on in exhortation. He gives specific instructions to those who have those specific gifts as they work as part of the body. So today we are all part of God's body. So specifically, a lot of those apply to us. But then in verse 9 and a couple verses after that, he gives some instruction to a more general audience, to the members as a whole. And in verse 9 he says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So as he says this, it is a general exhortation that he is giving to the whole body of Christ, to the whole church. And there's a lot in just this one verse that we can use. What I want to focus on is this idea of abhorring what is evil. That is the advice that he gives, to abhor what is evil. Now the word abhor isn't a word that I personally use all the time. I don't use it when I'm having conversations, when I'm talking to people. So what does that mean? What does the word abhor mean? When you type it into Google and just figure out what it means that way, it says to regard with disgust and hatred. That's how Google, that's how Webster's would define it. But why wouldn't this passage just say not to like sin or perhaps to disgust sin? I think Paul used the word abhor for a reason, and I think there's some meaning behind that. 
Abhorrent is a more fitting description of what we are to do towards sin. So thinking a little bit deeper about what that word means and about what Paul was saying in this context, to abhor is hating something extremely. It's an extreme amount of hate, to loathe or to despise. And one definition I found even said to step away from was going back to the original roots of the word, to step away from something in horror of what it is. That's what it means to abhor. But why does it matter that we understand that? Well, I think it's essential that we understand what we are to feel, how we are to feel towards sin. Think about it this way. I don't like onions in any form on anything. So if I were to say I abhor onions, that wouldn't even necessarily be true. Sure, I don't like onions. I disgust onions. But it's not something that I abhor. It's not something that has that deep of a connection. But when we are being told to abhor what is evil, we are to go beyond just disliking it. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. We have to hate it to the point that we step away from it in horror of what sin is, in horror of what it causes it, and what it causes in our lives. If we just dislike sin, if we stop there, then that won't be enough to overcome it. I think this is a world full of people that, in many regards, dislike sin. They don't like being around many areas of sin. And a lot of people don't like getting close to sin. But yet, they don't abhor it. They don't hate it to the point that they get rid of it completely. They don't abhor it to the point that they cut it completely from their lives and try to help others do the same thing. Let's think about some examples from the Old Testament to kind of help us get a picture of this. Think about Joseph. Joseph is a character in the book of Genesis that we can learn a lot from. Think about his example as he went from being home to being far away from home, sold into slavery by his brothers. But yet, even though he was so far away from home, even though he was in a place of so much evil and so much corruption, what do we see Joseph doing? Joseph kept being or kept this attitude of abhorring sin. He kept being faithful to God. When Potiphar's wife came to him and tried to get Joseph to lie with her, what did Joseph do? Joseph didn't stay for a little bit and think about it. Joseph ran the other way. Do you think that's an attitude of just not liking sin or abhorring sin, hating it to the point that he ran out of the room to get away from it? Joseph abhorred sin. Think about Daniel. Daniel was one of the captives that was taken away from his home once again in a foreign place, separated from everything that he used to know. And he goes through several tests from eating vegetables instead of what the king had provided. Um, and then Daniel's told that if you keep praying to God, you will be thrown in jail. Daniel had an excellent habit of praying to God three times a day, opening his windows where people could even see him. But yet he was told, you have to stop praying or you're going to get thrown in jail. Daniel kept praying. He was thrown in a lion's den, and God saved him from that. Again, this is truly hating evil, abhorring evil, not just disliking it. Daniel had that attitude. But then think about Lot. Lot was a man that had traveled with Abraham for a long time. Um, and then eventually, Abraham and Lot need to separate. And so Lot chooses the land that he is going to take, and slowly, as he took the more fertile ground, he gets closer and closer to the city of Sodom. 
So eventually we find him living in Sodom. So Lot has put himself and put his family in a situation where he is surrounded by evil. Now thankfully, Lot made it out of the city with his two daughters and his own life, but his wife perished as they were running away from the city. And then his two daughters were corrupted because of that influence. Now, Lot certainly didn't like sin. He certainly didn't like the idea of being close to it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he's even described as a righteous man. But yet, did he abhor sin to the point that he ran away from it? We don't see Lot doing that. And in the end, it cost him a lot. It ended up costing him his wife and his daughters in the end. So hopefully we realize that abhorring sin, or excuse me, we realize that just disliking sin isn't enough. We have to take it a step further than that. We have to abhor sin. But yet, it's not even enough just to abhor sin. Certainly, it's better than disliking it. But not only are we to abhor sin, we are to replace it with something, something else. Look back at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So abhorring evil is good, but that's not where it ends. Abhorring evil has another step after that. We must cling to what is good. It has to be replaced. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse 24. It says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So here we have a strange story that Jesus told to us. We have an unclean spirit that has gone out of a man, doesn't find anywhere else to go, so he comes back to that same man and finds out that nothing has taken his place. So that unclean spirit finds more uncleanness and they enter the man again. Now think about that story and let the uncleanness, let the unclean spirit represent sin. So sin has gone out of a person and then sin comes back to a person and finds that it still has a place in that man, in that person. So it brings even more sin back with it just because that hole wasn't filled up. He brings back more evil and fills the place up again. And this could be us if we don't replace the bad with good. If we just abhor evil and get rid of that, but yet don't do anything else, then we leave an empty spot. We leave a hole for that same evil to come back into our lives. Let's think about that with an example. Think about someone who has, a, who has developed the habit, developed the sinful habit of gossiping about others. As they go about their week, they find themselves gossiping and saying things that they shouldn't about their brethren and about people that they come into contact with. But then they figure out that they are to abhor that sin. And they do. They hate it. They get rid of that sin of gossiping about others. But then they don't do anything to replace that habit. 
And then a week later, they still have that empty block of time that they had been spending gossiping. Eventually, the gossip is going to come back into their lives. Eventually, that's going to come back and possibly be worse than it was when they kicked it out the first time. But then think about that same person. They've been gossiping. They get rid of that habit. And instead of doing that, they start encouraging their brethren. They use that time that they had been using for something evil, and they start sending cards. They start reaching out to those that need encouragement. That block of time has been filled up. There's no place for that evil to come back into their lives. And that's what we have to do. When we get rid of evil, we have to replace it. But it's not simply replace with good. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, cling to what is good. So again, there's a deeper thought there. Cling to it. Hold on to it tight. When you all hear the word cling, I'm sure you have perhaps an image or a thought or a definition that comes into your mind. But as I was thinking about this idea of clinging to something, I thought about a rope swing or a vine. And so you go up to this vine or this rope swing, and perhaps it's over a valley. I know I've done this a couple times, where you grab onto the rope and you swing out over the valley and then you come back. Now, as you're doing that with perhaps a 10 or 15 foot drop underneath you, do you think you're going to gently hold on to that rope as you're swinging? Or do you think you're going to cling to that rope, hold on to it as tight as you can so you don't slip off and so you don't drop? That's what helps me to think about clinging to something. We're going to cling to that rope, realizing that it's the only way we're going to make it back to where we started. We're going to hold on to it tighter than we can to anything else. And this, of course, is what we are to do to the good things that God has given to us. Now, these good things aren't just what we like, but it's what God has deemed as good. Through His Word, God has given us lists of things that He calls good. The fruit of the Spirit is an example of that. Many good things that God has given to us. Uh, read James chapter 1, verse 27 with me. Let's turn over there. James chapter 1. In verse 27 of that chapter, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is something that God has put the definition of good on. Pure and undefiled religion before God is visiting orphans and widows and keeping oneself clean. This is something that God deems as good. This is something that we can cling to, something that we can use to replace evil that we have been getting rid of in our lives. And there are many, many more examples of that that we can think about. Good things that God would have us to cling to, to hold on to tight in our lives. So how will our lives be different, and how can our lives be different if we start abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good? Now, for someone that has been letting sin into their life, for someone that has been letting sin conquer them, it's going to be a huge change. And it takes several things to make that change. Abhorring sin and clinging to what is good takes a lot of effort. But to simply sum it up, and I know this is way easier said than done, but to do that, to abhor sin and cling to what is good, we have to see those things as God sees them. 
It takes us having the attitude that God has towards sin and having the attitude that God has towards what is good. Let's look at some passages that talk about that. We're going to be doing some flipping here, so um, get your Bibles out and turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13, we'll read that first. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So here we start to see God's attitude towards sin. God cannot be tempted. God does not tempt anyone with evil. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Again, we see through God's inspired word the attitude that he has towards sin, towards lawlessness. He says that sin is lawlessness. Those things are equal. That's how God sees evil, as something that is without law. And then in that same chapter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For his purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. This perhaps puts it the most cleanly and the most or the most clearly and the most abruptly that we've looked at. It simply says, He who sins is of the devil. If that doesn't help us see how God views sin, I don't know what else can. He who sins is of the devil, the origin of sin. If we give in to sin, then we are giving in to the one who is the origin of sin, who is tempting us to sin. It says in the passage, For the devil has sinned from the beginning. That's how God views sin. When we sin, we are showing ourselves to be of the devil, to be his children. And there are many more passages throughout Scripture that show us how God views sin. Now, we have to have this view, because if we don't, then we are just going to go simply back to the attitude of disliking sin. And that's not what God wants us to have. He wants us to hate sin, to view it as he hates it. But what about good? To cling to good, we must also see that, how God sees it. Turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It says every good and perfect gift is from above. This is how God views good. It's a, it's a gift from Him. Everything that is good, it comes down from God. And then turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. God, speaking through Peter here, tells us that good is worth suffering for. If we are doing good and if we are suffering for that, that's worth it. That's worth the persecution that we are going for. That's how God views good, as something that we should cling to, something that is worth going through persecution for. So, 
if we see sin and if we see good at how God sees it, then that will help us so much in our fight against the devil. If we take up this view of abhorring sin, stepping away from it in horror of what it is, and clinging to good, realizing that it is the only thing that will bring us from here to eternity, to heaven with God. Both not abhorring sin and not clinging to good have consequences. Both of those will ultimately separate us from God. If we don't abhor sin, we will give in to sin. If we don't cling to what is good, we will let go of the good that God has given to us. Both of those result in separation for God. And if there is anyone here this afternoon who has done that, who has not hated sin like they should have, who have let that come into their lives, who have not clung to what is good, then we have an opportunity this afternoon, and we have an opportunity always to go to God, to pray for forgiveness, to look to Him for the salvation that He can give to us. And if there's anyone here who needs to be baptized, who needs to enter into that walk with God, of hating sin and clinging to what is good, then that opportunity as well is available this afternoon. If anyone needs to do something, make changes in a public way, then please come to the front as we stand and sing.